during the night at three Lauriston Gardens off the Brixton Road. Our men on the beat found the door open and in the front room discovered the body of a gentleman bearing cards in his pocket bearing the name of Enoch J. Dribber, Cleveland, Ohio, USA. There had been no robbery nor is there any evidence as to how the man met his death. Indeed, the whole affair is a puzzler. This intriguing letter from Inspector Gregson of Scotland Yard marked the very first occasion I was privileged to share the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, my, my name is Watson, Dr. John Watson, and I will tell you first how we came to be drawn into the case Holmes himself called A Study in Scarlet. I'll, I'll just arrange my notes. It'll only take a moment... It was many years ago, but I shall never forget that fateful meeting in the laboratory at Bart's Hospital. I was home from India, invalided out of the army, and looking for lodgings in keeping with my pension. Holmes had just found a suite of rooms at number 221B Baker Street and wanted someone to share them. I'd been warned he might prove a strange companion. And so he did. I became more and more curious about him. And, of course, he quickly noticed it. I trust, Doctor, that these few weeks have not proved to you that I'm too difficult a fellow lodger after all. <laughs> Far from it, Holmes. I don't mind admitting you puzzle me, though. Puzzle you? Well, the way you work like a fiend sometimes, and as others you lie on the sofa there, hardly uttering a word or moving a muscle from morning to night. Well, I have a trade of my own. I suppose I'm the only one in the world. I'm a consulting detective. Consulting detective? Here in London, we have lots of government detectives and lots of private ones. When these fellows are at fault, they come to me, and I manage to put them on the right scent. I say. Hmm? That fellow down in the street, I wonder what oh. he's looking for. Oh, you mean the retired sergeant of Marines? Oh, now that really is going too far. <laughs> oh, well, we shall soon see. He's coming to our door. You know, the trouble is, Watson, that there are no crimes and no criminals these days. What's the use of having brains in our profession? I know well that I have it in me to make my name famous. No man lives or has ever lived who has brought the same amount of study and of natural talent to the detection of crime which I have done. And what's the result? There is no crime to detect. <laughs> A person to see you, Mr. Holmes. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Come in. Letter by hand for Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Thank you. Uh, may I ask, my good man, what your trade may be? A commissioner, sir. Uniformer way for repairs. <laughs> and you were... Uh, Sergeant, sir. Royal Marine Light Infantry, sir. <laughs> no answer. <clears throat> Very good, sir. <clears throat> good day, gentlemen. Good day, son. Well, I'm blessed. <laughs> now, how in the world did you deduce that? Commonplace. Oh, but I said just now that there were no criminals... 
Lockhart. Hmm? It appears that I'm wrong. Look at this. Huh? Would you mind reading it to me aloud? What is that? Hmm. Um, my dear Mr. Sherlock Holmes, there has been a bad business during the night at three Lauriston Gardens off the Brixton Road. Our men on the beat saw a light there about two in the morning, and as the house was an empty one, suspected that something was... Ah, it was amiss. He found the door open, and in the front room discovered the body of a gentleman, well-dressed and having cards in his pocket, bearing the name of Enoch J. Drebber, Cleveland, Ohio, USA. There had been no robbery, nor was there any evidence uh, as to... How the man met his death. There are marks of blood in the room, but there's no wound upon his person. We are at a loss as to how he came into the empty house. Indeed, the whole affair is a puzzler. If you can come round to the house any time before 12, you'll find me there. Yours faithfully, uh, Tobias Gregson. Hmm. Gregson is the smartest of the Scotland Yarders. He and Lestrade are the pick of a bad lot. They have their knives into one another, too. They're as jealous as a pair of professional beauties. Come on, get your hat. You you wish me to come? Yes, if you have nothing better to do. Here you are, Kevin. Thank you, Governor. I must say, you don't seem to be giving much thought to the matter in hand, and all that talk in the cab about Cremona fiddles and the difference between a Stradivarius and an Amartya. No data yet. It's a capital mistake to theorize before you have all the evidence. Well, you'll have your data soon. Um, aren't we going in? All in good time, Watson. Let us first observe such important details as the roadway. Mm-hmm. Ah. The pavement. Mm-hmm. And the grass fringe. Ah, yes. That is interesting. Mr. Holmes, it's very kind of you to come. Ah, Inspector Gregson, this is my friend, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do, sir? I've had everything left untouched. Except the pathway up to the house. If a herd of buffaloes had passed along, there couldn't be a greater mess. No doubt, however, you had drawn your own conclusions before you permitted this. Well, I've had so much to do inside the house, Mr. Holmes. My uh, colleague, Mr. Lestrade, is here. I've relied upon him to look after the path. With two such men as yourself and Lestrade upon the ground, there will not be much for a third party to find out. Well, I think we've done all that can be done. It's a queer case, though, and, well, I know your taste for such things. Did you come here in a cab, Gregson? No, sir. Did Lestrade? No, sir. Then let us go and look at the room. Good morning, Mr. Holmes. Good morning, Lestrade. I think you've met Dr. Watson. Of course, it's all right. Yes, how do you do? Mm. This case will make a stir, sir. Beats anything I've seen, and I'm no chicken. You found no clue? None at all. Hmm. You're sure there's no wound? There are splashes of blood all over the place. Uh, Do you want to examine the body, sir? Yes, uh, just a quick look, I think. Uh, Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that seems to be all. Just a sniff at his lips. And, uh, 
glanced at the soles of his patent leather boots. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I've seen everything I need to see. He's not been moved at all. Well, no more than was necessary for the purposes of our examination. Then you can take him to the mortuary. There's nothing more to be learned. Right. Uh, let's have this pleasure. Oh, Hello? What's that? Well, it's a ring. There's been a woman here. Well, it's a woman's wedding ring. Well, this does complicate matters. Heaven knows they were complicated enough before. You're sure it doesn't simplify them? Simplify? All right, you can take them away. Yes, sir. Come, come, Gregson. There's nothing to be learned by staring at the ring. What did you find in his pockets? Um, gold watch and chain, gold ring with a Masonic device, gold pin, bulldog's head with rubies as eyes, cards of Enoch J. Dreber of Cleveland, corresponding with the EJD upon the linen. No purse, but loose money to the extent of seven pounds thirteen shillings. Oh, and two letters. One addressed to E.J. Greber and one to Joseph Stangerson. At what address? American Exchange Strand, to be left till called for. They are both from the Guion Steamship Company and refer to the sailing of their boats from Liverpool to New York. Have you made any inquiries as to this man Stangerson? I did it once, sir. I've had advertisements sent to all the newspapers and one of my men has gone to the American Exchange, but he has not yet returned. Have you sent to Cleveland? We telegraphed this morning. How did you word your inquiries? We simply detailed the circumstances and said that we should be glad of any information that could help us. You didn't ask for particulars on any point which appeared to you to be crucial. I asked about Stangerson. Nothing else. Is there no circumstance upon which this whole case appears to hinge? Will you not telegraph again? I've said all I had to say, Mr. Holmes. Mr. Gregson, I have just made a discovery of the highest importance. And one which would have been overlooked had I not made a careful examination of the walls. Oh, Mr. Lestrade? And what is it? Uh, look here, on this wall. I'll oh, no, stand there. I'll strike a match. Uh, look at that. It's, what does it say? I can't quite see. R-A-C-H-E. Rach? What do you think of that? The murderer's written it with his or her own blood. You see this smear where it's trickled down the wall? That disposes of the idea of suicide anyhow. Hey, why was that corner chosen to write it on? I'll tell you. You see that candle on the mantelpiece? Yeah. It was lit at the time, and if it was lit, this corner would be the brightest instead of the darkest portion of the wall. And what does it mean now that you have found it? Why, it means that the writer was going to put the female name Rachel, but was disturbed before he or she had time to finish. <laughs> you mark my words, when this case comes to be cleared up, you'll find that a woman named Rachel has something to do with it. <laughs> All very well for you to laugh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> you may be very smart and clever. But the old round is the best when all said and done. Oh, I, I really beg your pardon, Lestrade. You certainly have the credit of being the first of us to find this out. And as you say, it bears every mark of having been written by the other participants in last night's mystery. I have not had time to examine this room yet, but with your permission I shall do so now. Now, uh, where's my lens? I think that will do. Huh. Twenty minutes that took you, Mr. Holmes. I could have spared you the trouble in five. They say that genius is an infinite capacity for taking pains. It's a very bad definition, but it does apply to detective work. Well, what do you think of it, sir? Oh, it would be robbing you of the credit of the case if I were to presume to help you. You're doing so well now that it would be a pity for anyone to interfere. 
If you will let me know how your investigations go, I shall be happy to give you any help I can. In the meantime, I should like to speak to the constable who found the body. Is he here? Well, no, he's off duty now. Then can you give me his name and address? Oh, yes, sir. His name is John Rance. Yeah. You'll find him at 46 Audley Court, yeah. Kennington Park Gate. Kennington Park Gate. Thank you. Come along, Doctor. We shall go and look him up. Hmm. Oh, gentlemen. Hmm? Yeah. I'll tell you one thing which may help you in the case. What's that, sir? There has been murder done, and the murderer was a man. He was more than six feet high, was in the prime of life, had small feet for his height, wore coarse square-toed boots, and smoked a Trichinopoly cigar. He came here with his victim in a four-wheeled cab, which was drawn by a horse for three old shoes and one new one on his off-foreleg. In all probability, the murderer had a florid face, and the fingernails of his right hand were remarkably long. These are only a few indications, but they may assist you. <laughs> if this man was murdered, how was it done? Poison. Oh, one other thing, Lestrade. Yes. Don't waste your time looking for Miss Rachel. Rache is the German for revenge. Come along, Doctor. I have a telegram to send. I'm coming home. that I have sent my telegram, we can go and see this Constable John Rance. Oh, you amaze me, Holmes. Surely you're not as sure as you pretend to be of all those particulars you gave? There's no room for a mistake. The very first thing which I observed on arriving there was that a cab had made two ruts with its wheels close to the curb. Mm -hmm. Now, up to last night, we've had no rain for a week, so that those wheels, which left such a deep impression, must have been there during the night. Since the cab was there after the rain began and was not there at any time during the morning, I have Gregson's word for that. Mm -hmm. It follows that it must have been there during the night and therefore that it brought those two individuals to the house. Well, that seems simple enough, but um, how about the other man's height? When a man writes on a wall, his instinct leads him to write about the level of his own eyes. Now, that writing was just over six feet from the ground. It was child's play. <laughs> And his age? Well, if a man can stride four and a half feet without the smallest effort, he can't be quite in the sere and yellow. That was the breadth of a puddle on the garden path which he had evidently walked across. Patent leather boots had gone round, and square toes had stepped over. There's no mystery about it at all. Is there anything else that puzzles you? Well, the fingernails and the Trichinopolis are gone. The writing on the wall was done with a man's forefinger dipped in blood. My glass allowed me to observe that the plaster was slightly scratched in doing it, which would not have been the case had the man's nail been trimmed. Mm. Mm. I gathered up some scattered ash from the floor. It was dark in color and flaky, such an ash as is only made by a Trichinopoly. I flatter myself that I can distinguish at a glance the ash of any known brand, either of cigar or of tobacco. And the florid face, then? Ah, that was a more daring shot. Though I've no doubt that I was right. You mustn't ask me that at the present state of the affair. There is much that is still obscure. Though I've quite made up my mind on the main facts. Mm -hmm. 
As to poor Lestrade's discovery, it was simply a blind, intended to put the police upon a wrong track by suggesting socialism and secret societies. It was not done by a German. Oh. If you noticed, the A was printed somewhat after the German fashion. Now, a real German invariably prints in the Latin character. So that we may safely say that this was not written by one, but by a clumsy imitator who overdid his part. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. It was simply a ruse to divert inquiry into a wrong channel. You have brought detection as near to an exact science as it ever will be brought in this world. I'll tell you one other thing. Mm -hmm. Patent leathers and square toes came in the same cab. And they walked down the pathway together as friendly as possible, arm in arm in all probability... When they got inside, they walked up and down the room, or rather patent leather stood still while square toes walked up and down. I could read all that in the dust, and I could read that as he walked, he grew more and more excited. That's shown by the increased length of his strides. He was talking all the while and working himself up, no doubt, into a fury. Yes. Then the tragedy occurred. Well, I've told you all I know myself, for the rest is mere surmise and conjecture. We have a good working basis, however, on which to start. And now we must hurry, for I particularly want to visit Constable Rance in Kennington. Let's go find a cab. Yes, what is it? You are Constable John Rance? What are we do wants to know? My name is Sherlock Holmes. Inspector Lestrade said I could find you here. It's about the business at Lauriston Gardens, Brixton Road. I made my report at the office. Can't a man get a bit of rest when he's off duty? We, uh, we thought that we should like to hear it all from your own lips. Oh, well, <laughs> well uh, I should be most happy to tell you anything I can, sir. Come in, gents. Thank you. Uh, Sit you down on the sofa, gents. Now, uh, what was it? Just let us hear it all in your own way as it occurred, please. Very well. Well, my time is from ten at night till six in the morning. One o'clock it began to rain. And I met Barry Murchell as the Holland Grove beat. We stood together at the corner of Henrietta Street a talking. Oh, presently, uh, maybe about uh, two, a little after, I thought I'd take a look around and see that all was right down the Brixton Road. I was uh, strolling down uh, when suddenly the glint of a light caught my eye in the window of that same house. Now, I knew that them two houses in Lauriston Garden was empty. On account of him that owns him, won't have the drain seen to, though the very last tenant that lived in one of them died of typhoid fever. When I got up to the door, all was quiet inside, so I went into the room where the light was a-burning. There was a candle flickering on the mantelpiece, a red wax one, and by its light, I, I saw... Yes, I know all that you saw. You walked round the room several times, and you knelt down by the body... And then you walked through and tried the kitchen door. And then... Where was you hid to see all that? Seems to me that you know a good deal more than you should. <laughs> Here's my card. No, don't get arresting me for the murder. I'm one of the hounds, not the wolf. Mr. Gregson or Mr. Lestrade will answer for that. 
Go on, though. What did you do next? Uh, went back to the gate and sounded me whistle. Uh, that brought Mercer and two more to the spot. Was the street empty then? Well, was as far as anybody that could be of any good goes. What do you mean? <laughs> I've seen many, many a drunk chap in my time. <laughs> I've never seen anyone so drunk as that coke. He was at the gate when I come out, uh, leaning up against the railings, and I was singing at the pitch of his lungs about Columbine's newfangled banner and some such stuff. He couldn't stand for all this help. What sort of a man was he? No common drunk sort of man. He'd have found himself at the station if we hadn't been so took up. His face, his dress, didn't you notice them? Oh, I should think I did notice them, seeing that I had to prop him up, me and Murcher between us. He uh, was a, a long chap, a red face, the lower part muffled round. That'll do. What became of him? Well, you didn't have to do that, looking after him. I'll wager he found his way home all right. How was he dressed? Brown overcoat. Had he a whip in his hand? A whip? No. He must have left it behind. You didn't happen to see or hear a cab after that? No. Mm. Well, there's half a sovereign for you. Oh. <laughs> oh thank you, sir. <laughs> I'm afraid, Rance, that you will never rise in the force. Uh-huh. That head of yours should be for use as well as ornament. You might have gained your sergeant stripes last night. The man whom you held in your hands is the man who holds the clue to this mystery and whom we are seeking. But I tell There's you... There's no use arguing about it now. I tell you that it is so. Come along, Doctor. Lumbering fool. Just to think of his having such an incomparable bit of good luck and not taking advantage of it. Holmes, I, I'm, I'm rather in the dark still. It's true that the description of this man tallies with your idea of the second part in this mystery. But why should he come back to the house after leaving it? The ring, man, the ring. That was what he came back for. If we have no other way of catching him, we can always bait our line with the ring. I shall have him, Doctor. I lay you two to one that I have him. I must thank you for it all. Me? I might not have gone, but for you. And so have missed the finest study I ever came across. Uh, a study in scarlet, eh? <laughs> yeah, why shouldn't we use a little art jargon? There's the scarlet thread of murder running through the colorless skein of life. And our duty is to unravel it, and isolate it, and expose every inch of Watson, what's the matter? You're not looking quite yourself. This Brixton Road affair has upset you. Well, to tell the truth, it has. I ought to be more case-hardened out of my Afghan experiences. I saw my own comrades hacked to pieces of my wand without losing my nerve, but I've gone over this business again and again this afternoon, until I doze off, that is. I can understand. There's a mystery about this which stimulates the imagination. Where there's no imagination, there's no horror. Hmm. Have you seen the evening paper? No, no. Gives a fairly good account of the affair. It doesn't mention the fact that when the man was raised up on the stretcher, a woman's wedding ring fell upon the floor. Oh. No, it's just as well it doesn't. Why? Look at this advertisement. What? I had one sent to every paper this morning, immediately after the affair. Uh, well, um, In the, the found column. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. In Brixton Road this morning, a plain gold wedding ring found in the roadway between the White Hart Tavern and Holland Grove. 
Apply Dr. Watson, 221B Baker Street, between 8 and 9 this evening. Oh. Excuse my using your name. If I used my own, some of these dunderheads would recognize it and want to meddle in the affair. Oh, that's all right, but uh, supposing anyone applies, I've no ring. Oh, yes, you have. Huh? Here you are. This is almost a facsimile. I say. But who do you expect will answer this advertisement? Why, the man in the brown coat. Our florid friend with the square toes. If he doesn't come himself, he'll send an accomplice. Wouldn't he consider it too dangerous? Not at all. If my view of the case is correct, and I have every reason to believe that it is, this man would rather risk anything than lose the ring. According to my notion, he dropped it while stooping over Drebber's body and didn't miss it at the time. Huh? After leaving the house, he discovered his loss and hurried back, but found the police already in possession owing to his own folly in leaving the candle burning. He had to pretend to be drunk in order to allay the suspicions which might have been aroused by his appearance at the gate. I see. Now... Put yourself in that man's place. On thinking the matter over, it must have occurred to him that it was possible that he had lost the ring in the road after leaving the house. What would he do then? He would eagerly look out for the evening papers in the hope of seeing it among the articles found. Yeah. His eye, of course, would light upon this. Huh. He'd be overjoyed. Why should he fear a trap? There'd be no reason in his eyes why the finding of the ring should be connected with the murder. No. He would come. He will come. You shall see him within the hour. And then? Oh, you can leave me to deal with him then. Um, by the way, have you any firearms? Oh, I have my old service revolver and a few cartridges. You'd better clean it and load it. He'll be a desperate man. And though I shall take him unawares, it's as well to be ready for anything. Oh, well then, I'll do it as soon as we can tonight. Study in Scarlet was the first ever Sherlock Holmes story. It was written, of course, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. We present it in three parts, and you have just heard part one. My name is Norman Shelley. My friend Carlton Hobbs played Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. Michael Hardwick wrote our script for this BBC production from London. I look forward to the pleasure of your company again very soon for part two of A Study in Scarlet.